life is so short and we never know what's going to happen to us or what's going to happen to our partner, what's going to happen to our kids. We really do have no control. So if you want stuff, you got to figure out how to make it happen for yourself. This is Women Killing It. Each week, women who are killing it in their careers share their stories and advice for making it in today's working world. Your host is Sally Hubbard. Today I'm interviewing Mallory Kasdan, who is the host and creator of The Milk Podcast, as in Moms I'd Like to Know. She's also interviewing me this week, so check out her show with my episode and let us know what you think. Mallory, congratulations. You are killing it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for saying so. It's hard to feel like you're killing it. Yes, most women don't feel like they're killing it, but you are. Trust me. Thank you. So to start, could you tell us about your podcast, what it focuses on, and, and what inspired you to create it? Sure. Um, it's called The Milk Podcast, Moms I'd Like to Know. And um, I was inspired to create it because um, I loved the idea of a milk instead of a MILF. And it kind of came to me um, a few years ago when I was, I think after I had a couple of, I had two, I have two kids. And after my second started to be more human-like and less you know, alien baby. And I started reading again and I started noticing so many writers who wrote with like a sensibility of a mother. And they treated their characters in this very sort of nurturing way. Um, and so I was just more interested in that um, approach to writing. And so just sort of being more attracted to it, noticing more. Um, and then thinking, oh, those women are you know, milks, moms I'd like to know. So it just sort of all kind of came together. um, And I always thought that I would do something with the milks. And then it just sort of coalesced as I was, I had written a children's book and I do voiceovers for commercials. So um, I had access to the technology of doing a podcast and some knowledge about how to make one. And um. I was feeling a little maybe isolated with the writing where I wanted to reach out a little bit more to people to figure out how they balanced everything. Um, So the combination of getting to um, connect with people, women, ask them about what they do um, and how they kind of manage it and also just to talk honestly about what it's really like to be a mother and to try to accomplish your goals. Those were sort of all of the things that brought it together to make me decide to make one. And then I just started and I knew so many awesome women, like I think like you, that um, I just called a bunch of people I knew. And then it grew into like books that I saw that I thought would be interesting to have those authors on. And I've been just loving it. I really love um, having people come over. I like to have the time with people just to be able to talk. And I'm very inspired by all these awesome people that are managing to kind of continue to create things or, you know, like climb in their careers or, you know, start an organization or get behind an issue with all the other stuff that it takes to be a parent. And so that's kind of why I did it. And I'm really into it. I prefer milk so much more to MILF. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is MILF the most offensive thing ever? It's like once yeah. you become a mother, the default is that no one would want to right. um, yeah. have sex with you. Totally. And the MILF is the exception. The like, it is so offensive and so kind of cheesy and like kind of gross. 
and objectifying, of course, you know, that, uh, yeah, to turn it on its head feels like kind of super fun. I love that because, you know, it's that whole co-opting the language of the oppressor, right? And taking it and owning it, you know, that's great. How you take the power away from it. It's true. I'm into it. I'm into the, I'm into the title. I'm into the concept. Um, because it actually has, and I think probably like your podcast, it really gives you permission to ask questions that you might have for people. If you don't know, how do you do that? You can actually ask people. And I think that's very freeing to be honest in being a parent and in being a working parent. And it, because it is really hard. And I think the people that pretend that there aren't challenges or they make it really dull or boring, that's not really doing anyone any favors in terms of making it better. So I'm into full disclosure. I'm into honest conversation. I just, that's what I'm into. And there's been a lot of talk about how being a creative person or having your career be in the creative fields can be extra challenging as a mother. I mean, I've read articles about women who feel like they've lost their creativity. They've lost their time to create. Um, I had a woman on my show who um, said that she lost her art for a while when she was in early, yeah, with the, in the early childhood phase with her children. Um, do you think it's extra challenging to pursue a career um, in the creative fields as a mother? Because it sounds like you've been focused on writers. Personally, you know, I do voiceovers for commercials, so that is something I've done for pretty much a long time since I was about 28. Um, that's when I started really working. And it's been a great job because it is, um, it's not exactly creative. You just have to be kind of um, available and you have to be technically pretty good at what they're asking you to do, which is generally just read copy and, you know, embody whatever it is, whatever market they're trying to reach. Um, so in that way, it's been a great job as a parent. Um So that was like a great thing to hold on to throughout having little kids. Um, At the same time that I was doing that, I've always always written. And um, when I was starting my voiceover career and leaving behind, like, you know, I worked in book publishing as a publicist. So I decided that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Although I loved books and authors, um, being in the business of it, promoting them was not what I wanted to be doing. So, but it was good to have that in my back pocket as knowing how that world works. Um, I started to try to do stuff for NPR at that time when I was working a lot in um, commercials before I had my kids. And I started to write and produce pieces like arts and culture um, radio stories. And so this was pre-podcast and kind of right after This American Life and a lot more shows that were doing a little bit more creative storytelling type of journalism. Um, So right around my late 20s, early 30s, I was really at the apex of what I think was my career, which was um, earning money doing voiceovers for commercials and writing and producing pieces about artists generally and things I was interested in and and making them for a couple different shows on NPR. And that was just the greatest moment because I was so creatively fulfilled and I was earning. So then after I had my kids, I held on to the voiceovers, but the creative part was harder. It was harder to pitch ideas. It was harder to stay in the mix. And it, since I had just sort of done maybe like 10 stories, I wasn't really established as a radio journalist, but I just loved it. And that was a confidence thing. Once I was out of that, I felt like I couldn't get back in. It felt a little clicky. It felt a little bit like I couldn't make it happen. Um, and I was frustrated because I wanted to 
make stuff. I wanted to write and I wanted to record and I wanted it, but I just kind of couldn't find the brain space with all of the additional things that I felt I needed to do with my kids. I had a lot of like like anxiety where I always felt like I had to be doing things with them and like taking them to a music class or taking them. I, I laugh so much at myself now when I think back of some, especially with my first, what some of the stuff I did, I've got to take her to the MoMA. You know, they're in a baby carrier. They don't give a <laughs> shit. Like they're like, they could be like literally like batting at a, you know, box. And you're like, but I've got to expose my kids to art, you know, and you're so earnest and you just, you know, you're just doing your best because you just don't, want to screw it up you know um I feel like a lot of that was there for me self-imposed mostly um so in answer to your question it kind of came back after my second was born and I knew my family was done and he was kind of a more difficult kid than my first and so when I kind of recovered a little bit from him and trying to keep my foot in the voiceover game so that I could continue to earn to have the money to pay a babysitter so that I could, you know, work, all that whole calculus we were talking about, I, it came back, the desire to make stuff. But it was hard and I doubted myself a lot. So I just think once they got into school, I knew that I, I wanted to make something consistently and make more of things, more, more things. So... That's when I wrote my kid's book, and that's when I started the podcast, and that's when I started writing more essays and writing stuff for, like, parenting publications and that kind of thing. So I think it, it takes having the uh, the space and mentally and physically to, to and, and the confidence to know that you still have it. Like, it's still there. You just have to nurture it. Can you tell us more about your book? What's it called and what's it about? So my book is called Ella. And um, I wrote it actually also when I was 40. When I was turning 40, I went to this hotel in Williamsburg that had just opened at the time. It was called the, it's called the Wythe Hotel. And it um, was super groovy and cool. Just kind of the first of its kind in Brooklyn at the time. Um, it was very Brooklyn, like, you know, brick. And it was an old, I think, some kind of factory that they had reclaimed and made into this really cool hotel. And so I went there for my 40th birthday. We had a little party at the hotel and um, we stayed over, my husband and I. My daughter was six at the time and my son was like two. Um, and we were at the hotel and we were checking in and I was thinking, God, this place is so thingy. You know, it's like very like groovy and like very hip. And well, it was so not kid friendly like it was so not a place where kids would be and I was thinking about my daughter who was six and what if she was there like she would just be like scootering around being such an asshole and I was so glad she wasn't there because I was like woohoo we're out you know and then I started thinking about Eloise which was a favorite book of ours in this growing up it was one of my favorite books and then when Zoe was growing up it was one of her favorites and I was like this is totally where Eloise would live if it was you know 2000 and how old was I Whatever I was 40, I don't remember when that was, but it was a few years ago. Um, and I thought like, oh, this is totally where Eloise would live. And I kind of mushed Zoe and some of her mannerisms into Eloise and into contemporary Brooklyn. And I came home and I basically just wrote the whole thing. Like I just it was like, oh, this is a really good idea. I hope no one's done this before. And no one had, it turned out. No one had done like an updated Eloise. So I did. And um I sold the idea to an agent and she sold it to a publisher and we got moving for that kind of business pretty quickly. Um, 
So it was just, a, I think it was a good, it was a good idea. Um, and it turned out really great. I have an awesome illustrator. His name is Marcus Chin, and he is a genius. I had seen his work on the subway. He had done this um, MTA piece, you know, those, those, those murals. Um, once I had sold the book to an agent, signed a deal with an agent, and she had sold the book, um, they pick a pup, uh, an illustrator for you. You don't really have any control if you're a new author. It was my first book. So they chose him. And I had seen his work on the subway and kind of noted it like, oh, he's a really interesting contemporary urban illustrator. And they, they chose him and it was a great fit. And so um, we worked together and it's, it's, I love the book. It's really great. I love having it. Um, I still do book events and I go to school sometimes and I do talks about um, parody and how to write parody. Um, yeah, it's basically a very fun and funny look at a little girl who lives in a hotel and is sort of just so you know she's got a mom who's like a Angelina Jolie type she has a Manny instead of a nanny her Manny is like a filmmaker and pickles vegetables and he's got a band and you know and, and she's not really I'm not making fun of her or them but you know it's a gentle poking fun at myself and my kids and our life in Brooklyn because it can be a little silly and kind of ridiculous so it's it's a it was a way for me to have a f- fun with that so that's pretty amazing that you just came home and you just wrote it all out in one one go you just had the burst of inspiration and you acted on it well i i actually okay so i have this really great friend my friend karen who she's been a friend this is an example of a great work situation that is always that's given back in so many ways so i met karen in our first jobs, we worked at Hyperion, which is a publishing company. Karen was an editorial assistant. I was a publicity assistant. And we worked alongside each other. We, like, toiled in the assistant trenches. And um, she went on to work in um, agencies as an agent. And I left publishing after – I went. I did one more job at um, Penguin after Hyperion. And then I left publishing. But Karen went to um, an agency. And um, when I wanted to get into voiceover work – which was shortly after the publishing was ending, and I thought, I kind of want to do voiceovers. This is random, but I'm going to try it. Karen worked at um, ICM, which is a huge agency, and they had a voiceover department, and she gave my demo tape to the voiceover department there, who I ended up signing with for, you know, five years. Um, So she was like my little guardian angel person then, and then with this book, years later, I called her. I said, Karen, do you think this is a good idea? Because I feel like it's kind of a good idea. And she was like, I think it's a great idea. And I I had written not the whole book, but like a a bit. And I sent it to her. And she was like, this is so great. This is so funny. You got to send it to my friend. And her friend, Rebecca, ended up signing me. So she's just been this like one of those people that is just really kind and really um, connected and and helps me and has helped me greatly. So sometimes I do think it's like, it's just having a good idea and being able to execute it. That's amazing though, because a lot of us I think have tons of great ideas, but then we don't take that next step, right? If we could all just make money off of our ideas, we'd all be rich, right? We have great ideas, but then it takes that extra to be like, okay, I, does take some confidence to believe that you can execute on it and believe that you can make it work. And then to go out there and be like, I'm going to pitch it, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's awesome. And it's also, I think, a really important lesson about how much we can all help 
each other out. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that was one of those things was like, I, I, I do feel like the, like the connections that I made early in my publishing days, now I know people that are like heads of publishing companies. And I can call them and say, hey, I have an idea. That doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, another woman that I worked with around that time, I had lunch with her. She is like the head of, uh, she's, she's, she has a huge job. I think she's like the editorial director of a publishing company. And I had pitched, I pitched her the idea too. And she didn't end up, you know, taking it. Like down the line, we went back to her and tried to sell it to her and she didn't take it. And that's okay. But those relationships have become things I can go to. And I do think some of these industries are really impossible to penetrate. Like, a lot of people might have a good idea. It doesn't mean that they're going to all get that idea in front of somebody. And that's the truth about a, way, a lot of the way creative industries work and media and TV and a lot of the arts. A lot of, these, a lot of jobs that people want are very hard because they're very competitive and they are very locked up. It's, it's not like you can just send a script somewhere if you want to be a, script, a screenwriter. I mean, it is, you know, and I think... It's it's that's a hard thing because a lot of people like for example a lot of people want to write children's books and a lot of people ask me like how do I write a children's book and I actually don't really even know I mean I think that you can do it and you it has to be good and my book it, like it didn't it's not a bestseller by any means but you know it's still people still buy it and I love it and it means a lot to me my kids love it and you know and I'm trying to write more but I haven't written another one yet you know it's like I'm working on it but I think like. These things are a big deal. They're hard to do. And um, you got to give yourself credit for being able to do them. Um, but I think one thing that happens to me specifically and probably happens to a lot of writers, and that goes back to the confidence thing, is like, I'll never do another thing. Like, this isn't as good of an idea or this, I can't get this to where it needs to be. But it shows also the, the importance of those connections. Because yes. even if you have an amazing book, if you can't get anyone to read it, then it's not going to get off the ground. It's true. And that's why I talk a lot about how important networking is. And yep. it's interesting that your connections came from actually when you had, you know, a low-level job, right, as yeah. an assistant. Yeah. So a lot of people think, oh, I don't have connections. Like, I didn't come from a fancy family and I don't right. have connections. So I think it's interesting for people to hear that you can make those connections anywhere. Yes. You made it as an assistant. And then the important thing, it sounds like you kept in touch with people. Yeah, and I think like some people really want to do that for others, you know, and like some people feel aligned creatively with Karen. Like we always just were interested in the same stuff. We always liked the same writers. We, you know, just kind of kept, we were aware of each other. So she was, she wanted to help me and now I will help her in any way I ever, I ever can. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, I feel like now because I had such a sort of sporadic career in different areas, like I did voiceovers, but I wasn't really an actor. So all the people that I do, do did and do voiceovers with, most of them are, are real actors who are on TV and on, on stage. And I never was doing that because I was always pursuing the writing and the radio stuff. So it was like, I could dabble, you know what I mean? Like I could meet a lot of people and I always felt like I was a little scattershot. But now actually I have a lot of different connections from all different fields, which I think again, feeds the podcast part like it, it, it it's nice to feel like I've actually done a lot of different things and know a lot of different people from different areas it makes me feel very um connected to living in New York it reinforces like why I put up with this shit to live here do you know what I mean <laughs> it's like there's been a lot of like tough year you know like yeah. it, 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 it you know, yeah I don't know it it's makes tough. me feel 
happy. That's why. Because you get the chance to meet so many people who are doing that so is many true. interesting things. That I is think. true. That is true. Definitely. I mean, I've thought about living elsewhere mostly because of the cost of living yep. and how hard it is just to make ends meet in this yep. city um but i'm like but i just have access to such interesting people everywhere i go um i love yeah. that part of it new york feeds, city it feeds me it really yeah. does but the point that you made also about how everything felt scattershot and when you were going through your career it felt like all over the place but now it's all coming together and making sense for you and you know all kind of <laughs> gave you skills and and contacts and and made you who you are today that really f- nurtures and and helps you be successful with your current projects. That's exactly how I feel about my career and a lot of people that I've talked to about on my on my podcast as well is like every move feels like this huge zigzag and it all feels like it doesn't make any sense but then it all ends up coming together mm-hmm. and you end up getting this skill set that is just robust from everything you've done. Um and so I encourage people when they're feeling like, oh, this feels so random, to realize that in the end it will all come together. And the advice that I've heard is just to do what feels right for you at the time. Is that how you've approached your career? Um, I guess, yeah. Now looking back at it, yes. Um, and what's helped me bring that all together is the action part. Because sometimes I think when you're trying to – the creative part can it doesn't always cooperate with you you know like you you can't force that it has to it's like it's like magic I mean black magic actually you know when it's not working so if you can have some goals I'm really into that which I never used to be I'm more into what I didn't know existed which was like this sort of coaching thing um even if I don't I don't work with a coach I had a friend who's a coach who I had on my podcast who I I love her. I'm obsessed with her, my friend Allison. And I did two sessions with her. And just the ideas that she gave me from that, I kind of now I'm trying to incorporate, which is just like, figure out what you want, say it out loud, and prioritize it. Of all the things that you've done in your career, what is something that you are the most proud of? I mean, I think my book is probably the thing that I can point to. Um and when I get to go to like a book fair or um, I when I've done stuff in schools or um, like book signing events and stuff like that, meeting kids and talking to them and it, it's it's amazing, you know, like because usually my audience is like I have a second grader. So like that second, third grade is kind of the sweet spot. And they're just like so awesome. And when I've done stuff with my illustrator too, and we've done a couple events and people come to meet us, it's just like, I don't know. I think books are so powerful. And as frustrating as the publishing book publishing business can be, I don't know. It's just, it has a huge impact on me. And my daughter now is um, wants to be a writer and we read the same books and talk about them. And it just brings me so much pleasure to be part of that world um and I want to I want to make more books you know and I really I that's a real goal of mine is I'm working on them and they're not coming as fast as I, I want them to be completed but um I don't know I think it's kind of magical like writing is magical to me and when I can write through something or figure something out in an essay or um I think that's probably the the most satisfied that I feel. And another question that I like to ask all my guests is, what is something that you know now that you wish you had known sooner 
when you were starting out your career? Oh, it's so easy that everybody is faking it. I mean, I really do think that. I remember when I worked in publishing and I thought everybody had read everything, like every classic, you know what I mean? And I was so intimidated that I hadn't read certain works or that I had, hadn't gone to Yale or, you know, I, I remember just feeling so fraudulent and then realizing that everybody is sort of faking it always. It doesn't even matter if they've, you know, read every classic or gone to Yale. If they're arrogant, then they're not really worth even talking to and knowing what they think they're arrogant about. I mean, if they can't be on the level with you, even if you aren't as knowledgeable about said subject with them, like, it's not worth it. It's not worth you worrying about how you, what you know or don't know, no matter how old you are. Like, there's just a way to be in the world and engage with each other that isn't, that shouldn't be about how much you know or how much you make or how hot you are. It's like, it's just such a basic tenant. And we are all faking it. And I feel that women will hold themselves back from opportunities because they feel like, no, I would be faking it if I took this opportunity. Right. And guys, less so. I'm sure some do. But if they're asked, I'm actually in the middle of planning a conference right now. And I've been trying so hard to get gender balance on the panels. And I'm failing miserably and now I'm running out of time so because women don't want to do it or they don't want they don't they don't want to do it and also I think they are um overloaded yep um which is not a good thing either um but I do think because we do that whole over preparation thing that guys don't do that in order for me to speak on this panel I need to spend x amount of time preparing and therefore I don't have time for that so I can't do it right whereas a guy will just show up be like I, everything I'm going to say is going to be great anyway so I mean not every guy is like this but there's a, a lot of them who are you know out there in the public eye being the he- talking heads being the experts that everyone sees and they are faking it just as much as anybody else but they're just so, you know, comfortable faking it. So I think the more you become comfortable with the idea that everybody is faking it and releasing yourself of these expectations that you need to be so prepared and so perfect and you can't make a mistake and you have to know everything, Yeah, the more successful you're going to be. So much more relaxing to be that way. I always think think about Hillary. You know, like, what would Hillary do? Like, Hillary would kill it. Like, she just would walk in there like But she also would (laughs) over-prepare. I'm sure. She would over-prepare. <laughs> I'm sure she would. Well, I'm sure she's incredibly hardworking. How much more hardworking do you think she was than um, her opponents? <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. It's depressing. But I, but I do love that um, we're all faking it. Even this far along in my career, even with everything that I know about, say, antitrust and mm-hmm. my, my I mean, you job. know more. Obviously, you know more than you did. I know more than I did about a lot of subjects. Right. But that doesn't mean that I really know. Yeah. And there's always some, there's just so much knowledge to be known. I and mean, the pace of content, the pace of news, the pace of expertise, you know. Yes. I am confident in my antitrust knowledge, but I've been on panels where someone breaks out some case that, you know, I haven't read that case or if I did, it was 20 years ago. And yeah. that's fine that I don't know what that case right. is. Like being able to admit that you, I mean, I get, again, I think it'd be better if we could all be a little bit less worried about appearing like we always know what's going on because it really serves no one you know and I mean and I would also say if I had like a little half thing to the everyone's faking it thing 
Like if you have a good idea and you have something you want to do, just you got to do it. Like it's similar to what you were saying about the entrepreneurial spirit. Like maybe that was on my interview. <laughs> but um, but I think if you have an idea, there's no one path to how to do something. That, I get, It kind of goes back to the question of what you asked me about like and when people say like how do you do voiceovers or how do you do a podcast or how do you write books or how do you – how do you, you just do, you have to just keep doing it until you can't, you know, until you get a result and either like you're not good enough at it and that happens sometimes and you can't do it and you got to go back to doing the other thing or try something new or keep doing it until you're good at it and make it really good. Don't half-ass it. Don't make a crappy thing and think somebody's going to find potential in your half-ass crappy thing. Make your thing really strong and then someone else will see that fire you know I hope I mean it doesn't always work like that unfortunately but you're certainly not going to get anywhere in anything creative with something half-assed it's got to be good so I think fake it but also make it good you know I also think is really interesting about your story about your book is that you got the idea when you were in kind of this relaxing moment this down moment of celebrating your 40th birthday with your husband at a hotel and that's what I've read a lot about creativity Mm -hmm. and ideas and not just for creative professionals but for anyone who every job requires some creative thinking right um or most jobs yes, do of course um yeah, most jobs not every job but um you know there's been all these studies that say you get your best ideas when you're in a relaxed state or a tired state so as a writer we may be killing ourselves sitting at our computer all day when what we really should be doing for is sure. going and hanging out at a, a hotel and, for sure if anything, if I've learned anything in life, it's to go hang out at a hotel. <laughs> and that is where the, the magic will happen in the hotels of, of the world. I do love hotels. But even I had a really great idea for an article. This was a couple of months ago. But I decided I was just like, Sally, you have to nurture yourself. This is my ongoing battle that I don't do enough of that. And um, I decided to give myself a bath. And I had this great idea for an article I was trying to write. Nice. that came while I was in the bath. Amazing. You know, and... I could have just sat there frustrated at my computer trying to get the article done, but it was taking that moment to kind of step away and relax. That's when the the inspiration actually came. Totally. Yeah. I need to relax more. <laughs> we all do. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, we, step away from the step away from the news. So sure. I'm Mallory, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's been so fascinating to hear about your career. I'm going to check out your book and um, we're going to direct our guests to your podcast also but tell our guests where to find your podcast sure so my website is um, milkpodcast.com and that has you can link to um, the podcast there Um, you can subscribe there and all of my information about my book Ella is also there which you can buy in your local independent bookstore or um, where you buy your batteries and all the other crap on Amazon. And um, my other writing and stuff is on my Milk Podcast website. Um, So, yeah, find me there. Say hi. You can follow me on things. Just my name. Awesome. Podcast. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and most importantly, tell a friend about us. Thanks for joining us.